set the tone. Please record your podcast. When you are finished, let the fans download on Spotify and listen to the latest episode. Randy Johnson, Ichiro Suzuki, and this episode all have the number 51 in common. Welcome to the 51st episode of the Set the Tone podcast. I am your host, The Tone, Tony. You can follow along at Set the Tone underscore pod. Again, that is at Set the Tone underscore pod on the Bird app, also known as Twitter. March Madness is over. The show, this host, is a little bit richer after we gave you a UConn future dating all the way back to December, January. I can take my damn victory lap as long as I want here. Those sort of futures bets, especially UConn, a team that was in the midst of a 1-7 skid in the Big East during the regular season and entered the tournament as a four-seed getting bounced in the Big East quarterfinal, shows up and wins, go ahead, take a victory lap for that one because it is impressive, especially this year of any, to take a stand on a team and select a winner. So we will recap March Madness, just puts a bow on it, so to speak. Talk about the clock. Very quickly, as we only have 20 seconds to do so, if you get the joke there. In the MLB, in the initial thoughts through one week of the season, not much has really progressed in the NFL. Uh, the New England Patriots shopping Mac Jones, uh, allegedly. Do we want to talk about that? How long can we? Are we surprised? I think some people might be in their circles, but the media is very weird in their coverage of the Patriots. I sort of called this early on with Mac Jones, not that the Patriots would chop him, but that I don't believe in him as a quarterback. The type of system the Patriots run allows a quarterback to succeed to a point. I think what the offense that they run provides is a much higher floor than other offensive systems. It's a dink and dunk timing-based offense, and when you bring in a Tom Brady of sorts, that is where it gets taken to the next level. Right, That is where he's able to leap from that floor and touch the ceiling of it. Mac Jones, on the other hand, he's just stuck on that floor. Stuck on the first floor and is what it is, right? And that's all he ever will be. Maybe there will be some flashes of reaching a ceiling, but all said and done, likely not going to happen. Just did not see it. And I spotted that in his rookie campaign where he got this glitz and glamour of, oh my God, look at Mac Jones and what he can do with this team. This is fantastic. I think we got our next guy here. Really, was it Mac Jones or was it the offense that they run? Because it looked to me a lot like a Tom Brady-led offense just without Tom Brady and the thousands of highlights that he will give you throughout a year. So I'm not really surprised by... New England looking to potentially go in another direction, right? While there's still some sort of value to get for Mac Jones, see if you can get it. 
and go back in the draft and reinvest. Back to the college basketball landscape, I will say, I don't know if there is ever a bet that has been placed. John Jones over Cyril gone. There's another one. But that was as stress-free as the UConn Huskies in the NCAA tournament. To win by double digits in every single game the way they did. I mean, sure, you sweat a little bit early in the tournament with Iona and St. Mary's at the half. But after those points, my God. UConn rolled in the second half. They shot the ball extremely well. They play very good defense. They do everything right, and credit to Danny Hurley and his team. They executed. It was also funny. I had a little text exchange with someone back in January, and maybe this was in part was me trying to rationalize with myself that UConn was okay. And this is in the midst of that one and seven streak that they were on, or that stretch. I said UConn might not just be built for the Big East, but they're built better for tournament play. And what I mean by that is it's almost like playing in your division in the NFL, right? The teams in your division are much more likely to have your number than teams outside. Of your division. UConn's non-conference schedule outside of the Big East showed that. That UConn was an absolute marauder of a team outside of the Big East. Then they finally started to catch their stride later on in the year in the Big East. Played a very good Marquette team tight. But when you think of it as well, the type of big man that UConn has. And it reminds me a lot of the... Villanova teams that were uh, driven by Daniel Oshefu and Eric Pascal in their championship runs is that Sonogo's that physical big just knows how to use his body, not overly tall, what he's six six nine, six ten, and he so he's not that Ryan Kalkbrenner at Creighton type where he's just a seven foot mammoth. A string bean who will get to the basket, but he's going to be a little bit more of a lower profile in the paint and use his weight accordingly. That type and that style of play can get beat in the Big East because, well, the Big East usually has another big uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner at Creighton, right? We saw Sonogo and Kalkbrenner match up. Those type of players are able to be negated a little bit more in conference play. When you get outside of that to the tournament, that's where it becomes a big issue. For We talk about guard play is so big and prevalent in the tournament. Also, having that one big who can throw their weight around is pretty vital as well. So, a great tournament for Adama Sinogo. Uh, good tournament for Jordan Hawkins shooting from three. You look at what he did from inside the arc, not very good. From three, outstanding. And he's a streaky shooter. He can get very hot, and that is exactly what had happened with UConn. And if you take their championship game, their second half actually, and their game against San Diego State, or I'm sorry, their game in the Final Four against Miami, UConn itself wasn't overly impressive. 
impressive on the offensive end, but what they do so well is play a tight style of defense. And here you go. You cannot penetrate a big UConn lead if they have one. So offensively, they're good enough to still put points on the board. Defensively, they're good enough to keep you from creeping all the way back in a game. Hats off to UConn. Could they repeat the following year? We'll see who comes back. This whole transfer portal thing. And that's another thing I don't necessarily buy into yet. Is that, well, this is the type of year we're going to get with the transfer portal. With the NIL deals. This is college basketball now. It's one year. So, let's still take it with a grain of salt. And see this play out over the next few years. Maybe we do notice a trend. I'm not saying that it's not true that this is the state of college basketball because of nil, because of uh, the transfer portal. But it's possible that there is a regression and we go back to having that blend of a one-and-done and some veteran leadership, the senior-led teams. But that spark plug of a freshman could be in there. All very possible. It is Masters Week at Augusta as well. Just one of the greatest times of the year. Spring, in my opinion, is officially here. Spring is here when the Masters is here. So we look at the grounds of Augusta. Scotty Scheffler looks to repeat Tiger Woods in the mix. Right now it is par 3 day, uh, Wednesday of this recording here. And what's the storyline? It's going to be after a full year of live. The live guys are back in at Augusta. What will the coverage be like on CBS as we head into the weekend if Brooks Kepka is in contention, if Cam Smith is in contention? Already there's reports out of the Champions Dinner that very awkward interactions with Phil Mickelson or that he was quiet and kept to himself in my opinion he was the driver of the bad PR Bubba Watson was at that Masters dinner Dustin Johnson was at that Masters dinner those two seemed fine in the group photo and it's all again about how you handle it Dustin Johnson no frills taking the money Bubba Watson was not a big issue when he left and went over It was Phil Mickelson being the mouthpiece, and he made it for everyone awkward involved. Or awkward for everyone involved. And I was distracted with my phrasing there as I say, because talking about Bubba Watson, there he is in the par 3 contest. Wearing a Range Goats shirt. Chopping it up with Jason Day. So I wonder, is Bubba going to wear a Range Goats, his team and live, a Range Goats polo during the Masters? Get a little bit of live cover. And this is a big opportunity for live. Right? They're on the same stage. They can grow from this as well. I have multiple bets in on the Masters because you take all that UConn money. Do I cash it out? No. You don't cash it out. You throw it all on Harold Varner III. Because if I tell you anything that this was a UConn podcast, before this was a UConn podcast, this has always been and always will be a Harold Varner III podcast when it comes to the world of golf. I am waiting for that big win on U.S. soil from HV3. And 
I had bet when sports betting became legal in Ohio. An early bet on HV3 to win the Masters at plus 2,600. I have one at plus 2,800. And then for whatever reason, there was some weird line movement over the weekend where there was a little bet that I was able to get Varner at plus 4,300. He sat in the top five last year after day one, the top five of the leaderboard. So with that sort of thought process and knowing how Harold Varner can play, I honestly, and now this is being serious in terms of betting. I bet Harold Varner as a fanboy. But if we look at HV3 to lead after round one plus 10,000, and I'm sorry, I said plus 2,600, plus 28, and 43. That's plus 26,000, plus 28,000, and plus 43,000. And that that was the weird one. It's like, yeah, I have to grab HV3 plus 43,000. Uh, the Harold Varner plus 10,000 to lead after round one. A $100 bet returns $10,000. Throwing that one out there. $10,000 on a $100 bet for Harold Varner. Gotten to this tournament because he's top 50 in the world. 60 now because he's no longer playing in the PGA and there's no world golf rankings. But 10000 a lead after round one? It's just 18 holes. Very possible that one was worth a wager to me. Other players that I actually like in this Masters tournament, you have to buy into the Jordan Spieth winning Masters on Easter Sundays. So you nibble on Jordan Spieth at plus 1,700. Sung JM tied two in the tournament last year. I think that's a good international player to take a stab at. He's right now sitting plus 4,100. These odds come in courtesy of FanDuel. Brooks Kepka, who tends to show up in majors, he wins last week in live. I'll take a shot at Brooks Kepka plus 4,400. And the last winning bet, Tommy Fleetwood, plus 6,000. Playing a lot better on the PGA Tour. I think due for a big win. Why not take a look at Tommy Fleetwood a little bit? So that is my thought there, or the thought process behind those bets. So if we have Varner, Fleetwood, Kepka, M, or Spieth win, or even just Harold Varner lead after round one, we're in a very good spot. Tiger Woods will always be a storyline. He plays well at Augusta. He said he's feeling much healthier this year compared to last after the car accident. We have that live storyline to always follow along with and what sort of controversies will lead over. I'm, I don't root for a... I root for a good Sunday at Augusta. Not necessarily that a live guy wins, but maybe if you get the a Rory McIlroy versus a live guy in the final pairing and McIlroy's carrying the water for the PGA Tour, that could be... A very fun storyline for us to get. Give it a little bit more juice and add something to your Easter brunch or dinner conversation. We'll have to monitor the weather. Right now it's nice. I had heard reports that it could get a little nasty, a little windy over the weekend. For that reason, right? you like European guys, a Fleetwood as an example. Guys that have a very good experience playing in the wind or 
guys that have won Americans we can talk about that have won the British Open. Cam Smith has won the British Open. So those sort of guys we talk about that I think could make a difference on a Sunday at Augusta. Still have yet to go down to Augusta. One thing I would love to do, that's a bucket list sporting event, is the Masters. Ryder Cup, Masters are bucket list sporting events in the world of golf. Been to the U.S. Open before, would not say so much. I don't know about the, maybe the British Open at St. Andrews would be a bucket list event for golf. But it's, uh, I, I would because St. Andrews is the home of golf. So to see it a Sunday at St. Andrews for the Open, that's when you give a shot. But the Masters, I think, is at the top of the list if you ask any golf fan of something that you have to do. And this is just me sitting back in a basement in Ohio. When you look at Augusta on TV, I would almost if someone goes, "Where's Augusta National?" I don't know that I would respond with Georgia. I don't know what I would... It seems like it's its own place. It seems... I don't want to say heaven as it seems a little a little much, but... Like it's out of a movie. Everything is just so isolated. And you know what I think has a lot to do with it too? Is every time you watch a major or you... Yeah, a major. A US Open. A PGA. A British Open. They talk a lot about the surrounding town that is the host of the golf course. With the Masters, they just talk about Augusta National. So I think that there is this picture painted in our head that Augusta is a standalone. It gets its own zip code. That is how I see Augusta National Golf Club. We are a week into the MLB season. I will have to say, chatter has remained from the casual sports audience in terms of liking the pitch clock. That has been probably the most noticeable difference is the pitch clock and the pace of the game. Getting, what, a Saturday night Mariners-Guardians game of two hours and three minutes fastest all year the shift in just my sample size of watching baseball games I have not noticed a big shift in the ban of the shift so I think hitters still need to get their feet underneath them a little bit as they make the necessary adjustments and become more complete player as the year goes on So I haven't noticed the shift as much as I would say the pitch clock. I'll say this. Someone asked me last night, what do you think about the pitch clock? And I had this conversation with an older fan of the sport on Sunday because I'm, I subscribe to more of an old school philosophy when I think of baseball that it is a timeless game and there should be no clock involved with it. I don't want to say that my stance has changed, but in regards to the pitch clock, I haven't noticed it all that much. 
we'll talk about the Manny Machado ejection from yesterday. But in the games that I've watched, I have not noticed the pitch clock all that much. And I take that as a good thing. Because it doesn't mean that it is overbearing in the game. Players have adopted it and it is fit in seamlessly. What I would say. It has a very natural feel to the flow of the game. Now, Manny Machado is called on a strikeout to end the inning as he was dilly-dallying in the batter's box yesterday in San Diego and was then ejected after arguing after after the ejection. Here's my thing to umpires. If you are going to be that strict about an ejection, not give or offer any sort of warning when a player, whether it be a pitcher, whether it be a hitter, or Better yet, give it to the catcher if, if it's for a pitcher. I need the umpire to communicate verbally. If it's right behind the plate. Because I could see if an umpire is out of his stance, it confuses the pitcher, and he doesn't know if time is being called. That I get. But if an umpire can verbally communicate to the catcher, to the hitter, and ask them to speed it up, then I am okay with them ejecting a player if they were not in the box in due time, or calling a strike because they were not in the box in due time. That is your warning. Your warning is verbal, and it's during the process. You know, it is a, hey, you have 10 seconds, 5 seconds, let's go. Give them something to work with because it's still a learning process. It is still a learning process, and there are mistakes that are going to happen. But the last thing you want to see is this to end innings, this to cost a team a game. And that can happen. And that is how you get a negative spin put on this pitch clock. For otherwise, what I feel has been good for the game. Having another conversation with a group of baseball fans, my thought with this pitch clock is the sport of baseball got a big bump from the World Baseball Classic. And what the pitch clock will do, regionally speaking, is the pitch clock will help. It's not going to attract new fans. That it won't do, but it will help, I think, keep the casual audience around because the pace of the game is quicker, at least the time of the game is quicker. The pace of the game isn't quicker from a station-to-station point of view where hitters are singling. We have hit and run, stolen base. I, now, I have seen it, but this might come. I want to see statistically after the first month how many more hits we have in the game, how many more stolen base attempts we have in the game. Those numbers seem to be trending up. And maybe there's a little bit of distortion in my perspective on this because A lot of the baseball I've watched early in the year has been the New York Yankees and the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners, until last night, have struggled offensively. The Yankees, anyone outside of Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, and Anthony Volpe, I think right now I have a large disdain for even watching. I have watched enough Aaron Hicks 
in pinstripes for a lifetime. Finally, the Boo Birds came out last night. Comments in the locker room, not helping. Judge, phenomenal. Two home runs already on a very good track after his absolutely stellar 2022 campaign. Anthony Volpe, who I mentioned should be a Rookie of the Year candidate, probably will be. But goodness gracious, there is a struggle for some hitters to just get the ball in play. These swings and misses, fly balls in the air. Let's make some and Glaber Torres is a perfect example of someone who's made adjustments going the other way with the baseball. Get the bat on the ball. Play the game within the game, and that is something that we have struggled to see. And hopefully, with this reduction of the shift, we see it brought back. And maybe it takes, I'm, I'm not expecting it to happen for hitters to change their approach or if they haven't already changed their approach to have successful execution overnight. Right, This is something they have been taught through the minor leagues. The development of players has, there needs to be a course correction from that side of it as well. But again, from everywhere you hear, Good reviews on the pitch clock. For my end, unnoticeable. And I take that as a win. Springtime is here. We follow along at Augusta National. We root hard for Harold Varner. We will celebrate a Harold Varner victory next week. Does that sound good to you all? Let's not ask it as a question. Let's say it as a declarative. We will celebrate a Harold Varner victory from Augusta next week. Thank you all for joining.